Welcome back, combatants, to the Anything Combat show, wherein we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K, and today we're joined by a man who's 4-0 and zero in the UFC with only absorbing 23 strikes. Please welcome Mike Mallet. What's going on, guys? How are you? Mike, you've just had your fourth UFC fight, and the barricade somehow collapsed while you walk out. How'd you feel during that moment? Well, technically, my, my third UFC fight, right? The fourth one was uh, my win on Contender Series, but I'm counting that one. It's pretty much a UFC fight. The barricade? No, the barricade? Yeah, the barricade was was uh, definitely unexpected, man. That was wild. It, you know, it easily could have thrown me off, thrown somebody off. Like, you know, you're trying to focus, and you almost get crushed walking out to the, the cage. But I just thought, you know what, man, like, First of all, I didn't realize how far back it went, like how many people really fell off. I thought it was just like the people right in front of me. So I was like, oh, that sucks for the like, you know, the couple people that happened to. But I thought they just fell a really short distance and was like, oh, they were going to feel foolish and get back up. I didn't really think anybody would have gotten hurt. It doesn't sound like anybody was actually hurt, but I didn't think it was a big deal. And I'm like, you know what, just stay focused. Like, don't let it bother you. Back in the zone. And uh, I forgot about it like two steps later. Uh you know, I only remembered it after uh, one of my one of Jasmine's coaches showed me the video uh, when we got backstage. A friend of mine, Matt Jelly, he showed me the uh, showed me the uh, the video of walking out. I'm like, oh shit! Like that thing really did almost crush us and landed on my my wrestling coach Prickett. Like it landed on his leg a little bit, leg and hip and and arm. So watching from that angle, you see like my jiu-jitsu coach kind of rubbing Prickett's shoulders. He's like, oh man, that thing landed on me. So I didn't even realize, like, it didn't even cross my mind that someone might have been hit by it. It just was, you know, you're so focused, right? You're not thinking about everything else that's going on. You're just thinking about the task at hand. So I was glad I was able to stay focused. Well, if you can't get injured in the cage, somehow you're going to get injured out of the cage somehow. How did it feel to have such a big um, recognition by the Canadian fans? Did that make you perform better or how did it affect you? It was amazing, man. It's like, it's not that long ago that I was fighting on like, you know, the middle, middle portion of a regional show, you know, before even contender series and no one really knew who I was. And, you know, I was around, I've been around elite level fighters and famous fighters for the last, you know, eight years or so being lucky enough to go down to alpha male as a, an athlete and then coaching some of those guys and going to to UFC fights with them and cornering them. I got to feel what it was like being around that energy, but it was never necessarily directed toward me. So I was familiar enough with that kind of energy. Um, I feel like that helped me prepare for it. And we, we, we did a lot of mental preparation on top of the physical training for this one, just because, you know, there were a lot of factors. One of them being 20,000 screaming Canadian fans and I'm the last Canadian on the card and, you know, you could perceive that as pressure, but you know, we, we handled it really well. We, we stayed positive all week. Like at the end of the day, I just was really grateful for the position I was in. You know, I, I got to represent my country and I got to be the last guy holding the fort down, last guy protecting the house. And I'm really grateful for that, man. That was, that was one of the best, if not the best experience of my entire life. I, I absolutely loved that. So why let, you know, why think of it as pressure when you can just be, be grateful for it, right? Think of it as privilege. And uh, yeah, I feel like it didn't take from my performance at all. I feel like if anything, it elevated my performance and kept me extra sharp. You know, I, the, the way I was viewing it going into that fight is it was 20,001 versus one. 
you know, I felt like I had everyone on my side. I felt like it was us versus him. He was coming into our home and there's no way I was going to let anything other than a, a stoppage win for me be the result. Wonderful. I just want to make reference to Adam Fugit. Please, uh, if you're watching at home, send Adam some uh, love because he's taken on only undefeated fighters in the UFC, really. He's fought Usaka, who was undefeated. He fought Michael Morales, who was undefeated. And now Mike Mallett, who is only undefeated inside the UFC. But still, he's only fighting the toughest opponents. So please show him respect um, to his socials. Thank you, guys. Dude, he's really good. People weren't really giving him a chance just because... You know, there's a decent amount of there was a decent amount of hype around me going into this one, just as far as like Canadian prospects, especially because it was a Canadian show. It kind of like it added to the, you know, it, it kind of helped build me up, and the placement on the card where the UFC put me, that definitely adds like some support from the fans. Where it's like, oh, if they're putting him here, they must believe in him, so we should too, right? So. I felt like everyone, you know, and a lot of people didn't know who Fugit was. So I felt like a lot of people were like, oh, he's, it's just some guy for Mike to beat up. I'm like, no, dude, this guy's really good. Like, he's a Muay Thai champion. He's a lifelong wrestler. He's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, competed professionally in jiu-jitsu. Of his nine wins, eight of them are by stoppage. And I believe it was eight in a row, eight wins in a row that he got by stoppage. His only recent loss was his UFC debut. He took on nine days notice against a 12-0 and 12 and 0 undefeated kid who had already fought in the UFC and was preparing for that fight. Like he's had a lot of chips stacked against him and still done really well. So, you know, that was intimidating too, getting ready for a fight, you know, like obviously again, we did a lot of mental work for this and I did a lot of physical work, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well I'm expected to walk through this guy. So if it's anything short of that, it might be an underwhelming performance. So, I need to be as sharp as possible. My mind needs to be sharp. My body needs to be sharp. My skills and tools need to be perfect. And uh, grateful it went my way and went the way it did. I just want to allude you to the fact the fans at home are calling you the Canadian Michael Chandler. And as much oh, yeah. as you as much as you could say that might be you know a little bit cringe, they mean it in a positive light because. You one thing that you do have that a lot of fighters don't have is you have a illuminated uh, personality. So, okay. um, so how do you feel about the um, comparison about Mike and you? I haven't heard that comparison yet, but I mean the guy's a stud, so I'll take it. That's pretty cool. Um, I don't feel like I'm the Canadian anybody or the next this guy or anything. I just, you know, feel like I'm just Mike and. I like to win fights. I like to go in there and scrap. And I love this game, man. Like, ever since I was a little kid, like, what got me into it was really just the, like, problem solving of it all and and figuring things out and slowly getting better and feeling like going to the gym, you know, go to the gym a little bit nervous and push yourself and get beat up and beat people up. And when you leave, like, maybe you answered some of the questions that you had before practice and maybe you got some new questions in your head that you, you'd never even considered. Like, I love that it's just like an ever-evolving puzzle that I'll never fully solve. And eventually I'll just pass that puzzle off onto the next generation and, like, my eventual students and fighters that I'll be able to coach someday. And so it's just a cool game, man. I really like this. Like, obviously, I love the physical part of it. Like, when it's another skilled individual, I like that, that we're trying to beat the shit out of each other, man. It's cool. Like that's it there's a lot on the line it's dangerous it's it's thrilling 
and it, it just it, it steals my my attention you know so I, I love I love this game I love that I get to be a part of it I love that people appreciate my work that I put into this you know I definitely don't do this for fame at all but I really respect the MMA community and I've wanted to be a part of it for so long so to have people especially like you know there's been some higher up guys and elite coaches message me or or say things to me after the fight or or tweet some stuff and man it's just really cool to like have that recognition from people that I also respect you know I I I like that I like that a lot I want to ask you about the fact that you're not getting hit you're talking about puzzles in MMA but for some reason no one's hitting you why what is it about your game that makes you so elusive to strikes um well one I think I'm quite a good striker. I've, I've been in striking for a long time. You know, I, I was flying around the world, you know, over, flew over to Ireland, competed throughout Canada in, in kickboxing and, and amateur kickboxing, amateur Muay Thai. I didn't have a ton of fights, but I, I have some experience as far back as, you know, 2000, 2009, you know, fighting internationally, kickboxing and you know, I've been studying it ever since, and I was a striking coach at Alpha Male, so I feel like there's like a, a solid theoretical understanding of the game, and I just have been applying it in the practical sense a lot more since coming back to competing in MMA, right, in 2020. Um, I feel like we just like leave no stone unturned, and I, I think I, I have a solid understanding of distance and distance management and which range I'm in and what I'm in danger of in each range. And, you know, I study my opponents, but I don't overstudy them. I don't sit there and watch on replay again and again and again with my opponents until I see like a few things that I think will come up consistently that I can either, that I should either avoid, that I can counter or that I can force them to rely on like things, you know, that, that people might rely on consistently and like how I can capitalize upon potential mistakes or, or consistent tendencies. And especially like the last two, I guess even really like the last three fights, like Mickey landed more on me than, than I sh probably should have let him. But at the same time, like every time we engaged, I landed harder than he did. I landed better than he did. And I didn't like solve a problem that wasn't in front of me. I think that's also maybe one of the things that I do is I feel like some guys are like, I can't wait to get out there and show what I can do. And I can't wait to get out there and show all the things that I've been working on. I'm like, eventually throughout my career, I'd like to show a well-rounded game. And I think I've shown a good job of, of little snippets of a well-rounded game, but I haven't shown a ton. Like I haven't really wrestled much. I haven't really grappled much. I've gotten submissions, but I haven't really shown much of my grappling game i haven't really shown any clinch game yet i haven't shown almost any wrestling I've shown a bit of boxing really basic boxing that worked against mickey and that's why i used that style like it it was just like those things were working so if it's not broke don't fix it and then i've shown some like long range a long range kicking game in my last two fights um so i'm not trying to necessarily like show and demonstrate everything that i know like if i can keep some tricks in my pocket and, and some things that people haven't seen yet in the back pocket, like things I really almost tend to lean on pretty consistently, which I still feel like I have. Like my coaches are like, dude, you still haven't shown like this, 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 or this. I'm like, yeah, I haven't had to, like I haven't had to use those things yet. Um, which is pretty cool to still feel like I have several aces in the hole and, or 
you know, several aces in my hand and, and uh, we're going to continue to build new assets and new weapons, but it's fun to, it's fun to kind of figure the game out. Like I'm getting a lot more comfortable in there. You know, my first few fights, it felt like you're jumping into like another world or another dimension or another realm where everything's fast and slow and hot and cold and loud and quiet. And like, it's just like, it was such a weird feeling. Whereas now I just feel like, you know, it's been a long day today, but I feel like it, it's like this. I'm just like, I'm very present in the cage. I think that's one of the reasons I'm not getting hit a lot. I don't think I overthink things when I get in the cage. I overthink things outside the cage constantly. I'm constantly trying to evolve and ask the right questions. But once I get in there, I think I just rely on instincts really well and keep it simple. And if something's working, I, I stick with it, you know, cautiously, but diligently. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's also something I put a lot of time into is defense, right? Like as much as I, you know, I focus on offense, like I'm not just hitting mitts. Like I do a lot of defensive work and footwork and, and, finding ways where when we engage I have slight advantages so I think that has a lot to do with with not getting hit as much and then also I'm good at mixing the game up I think and I have a lot of power like I think if you go through and watch my fights when I'm making good contact I'm hurting people right it's not it's not that I just like pitter pat jab people on the outside and kind of outscore people like I hurt people with my hands I hurt people with my kicks there's the threat of potential takedowns. There's the, as soon as we hit the mat, there's threat of quick submissions and there's threat of control and threat of, you know, of, of changing the game a little bit. So I feel like it's like a, again, back to the puzzle. I feel like I'm a pretty difficult puzzle for guys to solve. And uh, I think that's kind of being shown that it's like it's getting harder and harder to solve my puzzle. Thank you very much for the, for the detail. I do have to say, that 100% uh, finish rate causes people to not be fearful, but be weary of the fact that wherever the fight goes, they're maybe seconds away from being finished now. So I think the next couple of fights that you have, people are going to be worried about that. Um, did you train today? And if so, how did it go? No, I didn't train today. So this week I'm taking a lot lighter, sweating a little bit, but I've been on, I've basically been in training camp for over seven months. So I had my Fury grappling match in December, December 30th. I was training for that for like a month before that. Then straight from getting back, flew back the next day. You know, we landed the next day. I went back to like, was day one of training camp for the Johan fight. So there was no break between those two. And then finishing up my interview, my interviews after winning the Johan fight February 25th, they told me, I was like, let's come back to Canada, come on. And then multiple people in the back afterwards said, hey, the UFC is coming back to Vancouver June 10th. It's like, okay, I didn't need to know that already. I would have liked a little bit of a break. So we, we just went straight back into preparing for that fight. So I really haven't had much of a break. So I'm just taking this week to really get bored, to relax to eat a lot of food, to just itching to train again. And I, I want that, you know, I usually am, but I, I want to like empty the glass this week, so to speak. I'm watching a lot of fights. So my mind's still engaged and I'm ha I've had meetings with coaches and we've talked about how the last couple of training camps have gone and where, where we think we need improvement and where we need to allocate resources as far as like 
time and energy is concerned, like what part of my game we want to spend a lot of time on. Um, so I've still gotten a lot out of this week and then just like had a ton of interviews and talking to sponsors and talking to my manager. And so it's, it's been like a, a super busy week, but not in regard to training. Like I've gone to the gym to just like be in the environment and watch jiu-jitsu class and, and get in the sauna and get in the hot tubs and stuff like that and sweat. But I'm, and get like physio and, and massage after the, the, you know, a long camp. I'm just going to prep me for the next like month training but uh yeah no i've, I've uh, successfully avoided this week of training so far good a well-deserved break for you i want to ask you about the dana white contender series what was that experience like how did you feel how's it set up and um do you think it's a beneficial thing to the ufc in general i think contender series is one of the best moves the ufc's made in the last few years i mean they they seem to continuously make just big decisions again and again um contender series in the last like five years was is definitely like up at the top for best decisions the ufc's made because there was no process that the fans knew of with fighters being brought into the ufc other than the ultimate fighter right so like it was like how do people get in okay you got you get to like 10 and 0 and then you just get signed you've got a three fight deal and you know, it's like, well, maybe you padded your record and you're actually trash and you don't belong here. And the fans also don't know who you are. I think Contender Series is a great way to introduce potential talent to fans, right? You, you, It's fun to watch, man. There's a lot of them lying. So these guys are all fighting super hard. It's very rare that you see a boring fight on Contender Series. Most people aren't doing anything on a Tuesday anyway, so it's a great way to like fill, the, fill a Tuesday night kind of fight slot like no one else is going to take that slot and it's cool to see like people achieve their their dreams you know everyone else is already in the ufc and of course we're we're achieving our dreams one fight at a time but that is really like a monumental fight and in a lot of ways there's a lot more pressure surrounding contender series than there is ufc fights if you know depending on how you look at it like the way you know one thing that came to mind for me before contender series is like there's absolutely no way you can afford to A, lose this fight, or B, have a boring fight. Because if you lose, you're going back to the regional circuits for who knows how long. Hopefully you win three, four in a row, and then you get called back, and then you're just in this same, you just are back at the same point where you're in the, you have the same opportunity. Or it's a boring fight, and it, that might even be worse than losing a, an exciting fight, and you don't get signed. Um, at least like when you're making your UFC debut, you're like, this is a ton of pressure and I want to win and everything's on, you know, every, it feels like a ton of pressure, but at least there's like that little bit of like, my job's not necessarily on the line. Like, okay, I'm here. And like, you can redeem yourself. There are a lot of really high level guys who lost their UFC debuts and went on to have a ton of success in the UFC, you know? So it, it, that's a ton of, of pressure as well. But contender series is, is, is tough, man. Contender series is cool. I really, I really enjoyed my, my experience with Contender Series. That was uh, when I was staying there where they still had like the UFC hotel basically in Vegas because it was the end of COVID. And we had one specific hotel where whenever I would corner, all the guys would stay at this um, residence in Marriott. It was just like a cool place. It felt like kind of like college campus where it was like we kept going there and staying in the dorm rooms and really familiar with everything around there. Um, it was also cool because I'd coached like 20 some odd UFC fights before I, I fought on contender series. So I show up 
that week and a bunch of the UFC staff knew me and recognized me and you know you see an old friends you're like hey man how you been what's going on they're like oh cool cool who you got this week I'm like oh no it's actually me this time they're like what you're fighting you're on contender series they're like dude I didn't even know you fought anymore I'm like well I didn't for a while I'm, I'm coming back they're like oh man I'm so much more excited now I can't wait like you know and come back to the hotel after winning and everyone you know a bunch of people are like hey man we're supposed to remain impartial but dude I was cheering for you that was awesome man like it just like it was a really cool feeling um, and then getting to like really join all the people I've, I've coached for so long and the sport I've admired for so long and, you know, and the, the company I've admired since I was a little kid, like getting to join the UFC as a UFC fighter through Contender Series was just such a special event for me. And then, like I said, like it, it, it brought fans to me right off the bat. So for my debut, like some people knew who I was and I think we were featured on the the Dana Waits, like, if you don't know, now you know type thing. And and I got to make my debut against a, a well-established veteran. Like, everybody knows who Mickey Gall is. Everyone knows he's tough. He'd never been knocked out. He'd never been submitted. And he got stopped once under some weird circumstances. But he's super tough. And, and you know, being able to be the first one to, to knock him out was pretty awesome. I want to ask you about your journey to the UFC. What would you say is that was the hardest part about getting to the UFC? Well, I had a very weird journey to the UFC because, as I mentioned, I did it kind of backwards. I, I fought professionally for years. I had seven professional fights. I was five, one, and one. I fought in World Series of Fighting, which is now PFL. I fought in Bellator. And I fought in a bunch of regional shows through California and... Uh, no, I didn't fight regionally in California, did I? No, I fought in Bellator in California. So, yeah, no, I fought most of those were in Canada. Um, and then, yeah, I took, like, I had, like, four years between fights, basically. like, three years and 11 months. In that time, I took a few years and just coached and just competed in jiu-jitsu and did a bunch of super fights and did the ADCC trials and, you know, some tournaments and, and just focused on my wrestling and my grappling and, and lifting weights. And I thought I was done with MMA as far as a competitor. I just wanted to, to coach. And I had some great opportunities coaching world-class fighters. Andre Feely, Uriah Faber, Cody Garbrandt, um, Darren Elkins, a bunch of other fighters in the UFC. Um, so I had a lot of cool experiences with those guys. And then coming back, I took a short-notice fight against an, at the time, undefeated tough undefeated prospect Solomon Renfro who's still very good uh, he hasn't gotten into the UFC or, or major organization yet but he's very high level I beat him I submitted him kind of similar to this fight where I dropped him and then submitted him and then from there we were looking for fights and uh, I got called up to contender series we thought the the avenue was going to be like win the CFFC belt I kind of signed a contract with them like win that belt and I should get called straight up to the UFC. Instead, I got uh, called up to contender series. So did that opponent, Solomon Renfro. And then so did their champion at the time, who was Johan Lainus, who I ended up fighting in my second fight. Um, all three of us got, got called up and we all, all three of us had solid performances. I won by submission. Lainus won by, by knockout and Renfro lost a pretty controversial split decision. Um, but uh, yeah, that my, my, my road to the UFC was long and kind of weird. But after coming back to MMA, it was like a very quick like shot to the UFC. And I'm not ignorant as to why that happened. Like it was very much 
the play by the you know through the play of Uriah Faber and Team Alpha Male. You know, I'm I'm with their management team, and I was with them forever as as an athlete, and they're still my boys. They're still my team. Like I love those guys to death. I just live back in Canada now. Um, but it was Faber's, it was Faber's push for me, and it was CFFC's push for me because the UFC I think asked them which prospects they thought should get a shot, and they 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 wanted Renfro and and maybe Lanes, their champion. And they're like, well, well, if you're gonna take Renfro, you have to take him a lot because Malat just beat him. Um, so I think it was like a mixture of CFFC kind of pushing me and, uh, and Uriah Faber. Like I was really blessed to have had those opportunities to work with those guys and had fights, you know, I mean, I took a tough fight against an undefeated kid and won in the first round. So that's, you know, that speaks for itself. So the work was put in, but there's a lot of guys who put the work in and, and deserve shots and don't get it because they don't necessarily have the right, you know, connections. And I'm really blessed that I had amazing connections with my teams and, and, you know, the people that have been involved in my career to give me the push that I needed. And, you know, while my, you might, you know, some might say like, well, you know, we got unfair opportunities, but I've definitely shown like since getting those opportunities that I belong here four and oh with the company, right? Four stoppages, three of them in the first round, one in the second. I feel like I'm doing pretty well, proving that I, I belong here. Mike, what has been your proudest fight so far? I mean, I think those two have to be my proudest, especially this last one, man. The getting a fight in front of 20,000 Canadians at home, final Canadian, holding it down for, you know, kind of, that was a big night for Canada. You know, the UFC hadn't been here in four or five years, been hungry for the UFC to come back. There had been a little bit of a lull in kind of Canadian MMA performances, and just to have six Canadians look great in all their fights they're all exciting fights they were all great performances like not only did we go for six for six but there were six great fights too like it wasn't just squeaked out wins or you know boring a boring night it was a great night the fans loved it they were they were there for us and and uh, i felt that energy and getting to walk out there and feel that energy as you're like achieving a, a childhood dream man get any better than that and then going out there and having having the performance i did against you know potentially the toughest guy i've ever fought certainly the toughest guy i've i fought at, at welterweight and in the ufc so far um yeah i mean that that meant the world to me i think personally that you could be ranked in next fight next two fights i see you being ranked from 15 to 10 um I, I haven't seen enough. I haven't seen enough tape on you to see if if you're better than that, and you will prove that if you are. So there's no doubt about that. Who do you think that you need to beat in in the rankings to break into that top fifteen? Who do you want? I'm not calling anybody out right now. I need that couple week breaks, couple weeks of break or a month break where I'm not jawing at somebody and having some specific guy in mind. Um, I'm pretty sure I already know who I'm going to call it as soon as I want to start looking for a fight, but I don't want to say anything yet because I just want to chill for a couple weeks. I think I've earned that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think we're going to go probably one guy who's just outside the rankings first. And then, uh, and then I think, you know, if the UFC thinks I need one more then okay, if not, I'm, I'm, I think I'm ready to start climbing, man. Like that win might put me in the top 15 anyway. Um, you know, you just saw it with 
Ian Gary, right? He didn't beat a ranked guy. He beat a, a really tough Daniel Rodriguez, but got pushed into the rankings because of that. So this, you know, next fight for me could be very similar. Um, or, or we have to beat a ranked guy. That's fine. I see a lot of talent and a lot of skill and a lot of danger in the top 15, but it's also, it also feels like that because I'm looking at it as the top 15, I'm like, Oh man, there's all these tough guys. But for the most part, as I dissect each individual guy, especially the ones that I will, will likely see earlier, I'm like, okay, this guy's really good. I mean, they're, they're ranked top 15 in the UFC, man. They're really good fighters. But I also do see ways to win, just like this last guy I fought, you know? It's not, he didn't have any holes, really. He didn't have any massive holes. Really skilled game everywhere. Muay Thai, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, conditioning, tough, long, strong, southpaw, kind of awkward. Like a lot of really tough skills and attributes. And I see that through a lot of the top 15, but I also see ways to win, just like I did with this one. I'm like, look, this guy doesn't need to suck for me to beat him. And he didn't. And he, and I did. You know, it's like, this guy's a really high-level fighter. And I think it's pretty fair to say that I outclassed him. Right? I still see those opportunities in the top 15. Most of the guys I'm analyzing right now are, are you know, ranked 15 to 10 or somewhere in there. Just because that's either the next step or the step after this next fight but that, that's the first step is those guys so those are the ones i'm paying most attention to right now or at very least like keeping tabs on and watching some fights on them um but i don't think i i i think it's extremely reasonable to say that in a year from now i'm ranked either top 15 or top 10 i don't think that's i don't think that's at all unreasonable to say if you weren't a professional MMA fighter and you couldn't coach, what career path would you choose? I don't know, man. I'd, I'd do something that gave me some financial security and, and gave me some freedom so that I could do a ton of jiu-jitsu and kickboxing on the side, man. I love this. You know, it's like the Luke Combs song, like, what would you do if you weren't doing this? Like, I'd still be doing this. Just, I wouldn't be making money doing it. I want to bring up your only loss. Because when I was looking at your sure dog, I went through and I was like, I wonder who he lost to. It might be because he he's a great fighter. It might be someone that I actually know. And then when I saw that it was Hakeem, I was like, who would have thought that um, he's currently in featherweight, I believe, and you're in welterweight? I go, I go. How did that happen? So can you just run us through run us through that fight, what you remember from it, and how you've been impressed about Hakeem's career inside the UFC so far? Yeah, Hakeem's a good dude, man. We've we've been chatting. You know, he was supposed to be on this card with me. I was excited to be on the same card as him again. Uh, unfortunately, he, he uh, had to uh, pull out from this fight. So hopefully, he'll be back sometime this summer. But uh, yeah, solid fighter, super high level striker, hits like a truck really confident on the feet, strong, just like it has that, that fighter heart in them, you know? Um, yeah, how that fight happened at featherweight is all my fights were at featherweight at that time. You know, I, I was fighting at a much lighter weight class. Like uh, I was quite a bit skinnier than I am now and was just like slowly putting on more and more weight every year. And that was the first fight where I really felt like trying to make weight for that one. It's the only fight I've ever missed weight. So I was like, I don't think I should be at this weight class anymore. And I missed. 
And well, I missed weight and they didn't give me any extra time. They're like, you weigh, you weigh in at the first thing. I'm like, okay, so do I have one or two hours? They're like, no, we're a one and done commission. Shit, man. I only have, I have like 1.1 pounds to go. I think, come on, man. I can cut, I can cut that in an hour or two hours. But, uh, so I missed for that one and I fought Hakeem and my skill was probably there at the time. You know, it was a good competitive fight while it lasted. Um, but my maturity wasn't. I wasn't mentally mature enough to be in that fight with that tough of a guy. Um, I was like a big fish at a small pond. You know, for preparing for that fight, I, I had been training out in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and there was, you know, Gavin Tucker's at that gym. He's a world-class featherweight in the UFC. My buddy Pat Carroll's an elite-level welterweight, lightweight. Um, he didn't have a ton of fights, but he's super high-level as well. And then some good jujitsu and some some good boxing, but as, but those guys were out for like a for a while with injuries. One blew up their shoulder and one blew up their knee. So I was mostly just training with like rec members for this fight. And then I went back to Ontario for a few weeks. I wasn't getting the training I needed. I got injured really badly, and then just kind of like jumped around to random gyms every day trying to like find some guys to train with. And it just like wasn't a great way for me to go into what was the toughest fight of my career at the time. I just like wasn't, like I said, I was a big fish in a little pond and I was used to like when I spar with guys like them kind of being afraid of me and, and, uh, and being able to back guys up. And he's a, he's a dog, man. He's earned the nickname mean Hakeem. Like he's a mean dude. And it was like intimidating. I was like, I'm not used to this. I'm used to guys like being scared of me. Why isn't he scared of me? And, uh, I was all in my head for that one. I talked to my, my Muay Thai coach crew, Alin Helmagen after that one, I, I, I'm back to training with him. He's, he's on in Ontario and, you know, I'd been living out East for university, but I talked to him about that and I told him all the stuff that was going through my head. And he's like, dude, you're thinking way too much in there. I'm like, well, how do you not think? He's like, Let's stick with it for a few years. You'll get there. And now I feel like it's just like it's quiet. I feel like it's peace when I'm in there and it makes a lot of sense. I feel like my, I don't second guess anything. I'm not tense. I'm relaxed. I'm loose. I'm hitting harder take a better shot now that I'm not cutting 30 pounds. <laughs> you know, a lot of good stuff. We know why Hakeem got the nickname Mean, but we don't know why you got the nickname Proper. So can you run yeah. us through that? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I got the nickname from Uriah Faber. So I was down at Alpha Male and Martin Campman was running class and he yells break and go grab some water and everyone goes to grab water at the water fountain and I stand on the edge of the, the mats and I just start drilling what we were working against the wall and uh, Faber walks by and he's like Mike Mallott always got to do it proper that's what we're going to have to call you proper Mike and Feely was standing behind him and Feely's like dude that's a sick name proper Mike and at first I'll be honest I didn't like it I was like no don't start calling me that in my head you know you know, in my head, I'm like, don't start calling me that. Come on. They're like, all right, whatever. Like, it'll it'll probably, like, just pass. And they just kept calling me. It kept calling me. It, and it, it kind of stuck. And I still didn't like it for a while, but I love it now. It's kind of cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, Faber gave it to me. You reposted Henry Cejudo's tweet of you giving you a compliment. Henry Cejudo, yeah. top 30, top 25 MMA fighters of all time. What's that recognition like for you? It was pretty cool, man. I mean, not only is he an elite level MMA fighter, but he was the best wrestler in the world at one point. He was an Olympic gold medalist. 
two division champ like getting that recognition from guys at the top is is pretty awesome got a shout out from uh uh gordon ryan on that as well who's the greatest nogi grappler of all time i've actually been down to train with his team in austin uh once but uh he wasn't there he was out of town and uh you know going down there and feeling the level of knowledge and and skill that's down there and just like the the sheer understanding of, of grappling that Gary Tonin and, and John Donaher and Nicholas Marigali and all these big Dan, all these elite guys have, um, it's like inspiring and humbling. These guys are so good, man. Uh, so yeah, to get some recognition from like the best of all those guys, Gordon, big, you know, Gordon Ryan, he's, he's, it, it was pretty cool, man. I look up to that guy a lot and I've, you know, I've watched, you know, several DVDs and watch all his matches and try to learn things from, from guys like that. So to then like have them turn around and, and be like, dude, that was, that was well done in the UFC. I'm like, hell yeah, man, that's sick. Same with Feely gave me a cool shout out. Aljamain Sterling gave me a cool shout out. Other, you know, two other elites in the sport. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Do you think it's better to be loved without the belt or to be hated with the belt? I just think it's better to be loved in general, man. The results will take care of themselves. But just want to be a good person, you know. I want to be good to the people around me and treat my community well and help people and and make a good positive influence on, on you know, the next generation and, like, people around me. So regardless of belts and status and results, my values stay the same. I'd rather be loved. Okay. That's all we have time for, guys. Thank you very much, Mike, for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to plug before we go? I just want to say thanks to all the fans for the support, man. Last weekend was unbelievable. Follow Mike Mallet on Instagram, link in the description, and subscribe to Anything Combat on YouTube. Thank you very much, guys.